0: This is Keeping the Faith on the Mormon Faircast. The Keeping the Faith series explores ways in which our faith can be challenged and ways in which we can overcome those challenges. So, on the one hand, I suppose you could feel support and camaraderie with these people who are feeling betrayed and bitter against the church. Did you, you know, as you were reaching out to people on the internet, you know, on discussion boards or whatever, did you feel any kind of sense of support or camaraderie with people who are encouraging you to stay in the church.
1: Yeah, absolutely. As I'm talking on this discussion board back and forth, and this, this conversation went on for several threads, and each thread was several pages, and I essentially was just throwing all my baggage out there and just seeing what they would do with it. Some people took time to privately uh, message me or email me and simply ask me to slow down and kind of walk them through what I was feeling. And so some individuals would take the time to kind of get to know what was going on underneath the problem. Rather than judge my anger and frustration and decide to be short with me, they kind of saw through that and saw the pain that I was feeling. They took the time to talk to me and help me walk through my feelings and figure out what assumptions I had that were wrong. I also had another individual who emailed me and essentially kind of put me in my place. And it kind of was in a harsh tone, but the Spirit bore witness at the time of exactly this was what I needed to hear. And in fact, I've got that in front of me if you don't mind me reading it. Oh, that'd be great. Awesome. So I started off by asking him about why the church ignores these elephants that are in the room that I perceive and feel like I'm the only one who sees them. And his answer to me was this. He says, there are not problems as you characterize them. And the elephants in the room are not the baby elephants you want to keep hoping are going to trumpet an answer. In the very back corner is a humongous, massive bull elephant who is sitting on his side, resting from all the bellowing he has been doing, hoping to get your attention over the mass of baby elephants making all the racket. He is obscured from your view because all you keep seeing are these baby elephants covering him from view. There is a work underfoot that you do not grasp yet. It seems to you to be a work to hide and protect the church completely incorrect. He says, We can flush these thoughts out further if we need to, but when you think of Bruce R. McConkie's take on the ten virgins, and that they represent members, and that half of them will fall away, what do you think is going to separate the saints from one another? We do love each other, and as a group are very tolerant when appropriate. But what is going to drive a wedge between the members to push them apart? He says, Faith is the big elephant lying on its side resting. The 50% that fall away are those who do not realize that theology is built upon a requirement of faith. Without it, none can please God. One can never overcome the theological demands of faith by an appeal to empirical proof. They are at odds. The one destroys the other. Proof will only leave you weak and unable to stand. When stand, you must. The one leads to life eternal. The other leaves one unable to call upon God. When the time is ripe for destruction, the work that is underfoot is the sifting of the wheat from the tares. In the coming days I have no clue how long, but soon enough I am sure the truths of the history of the church will save no lives. The only thing that will is in those that live, breathe, and feel in their hearts and souls the faith that can stand at this moment. The beginning of the onslaught against the church. It is the same ideological battle that pulled the third of heaven to follow Satan. It will escalate from there to becoming a physical battle and the world will be arrayed against us. It will take powerful faith, perhaps Enochian faith, to turn the tides against those that would destroy the members of the church. You are only in the beginning stages of the battle of the war of words and ideals and you are already falling prey to the efforts. What will you do when destruction is between you and the powers of heaven to forestall? He says, faith, so few understand it, is a genuine power. Sometimes I think that members are hell-bent on avoiding, denying, and fleeing away from the opportunities to exercise faith, the power that holds worlds in their orbits and enables the creative efforts. We lip-service it and then ignore it constantly. He said, This day is a blessing to you. You are being tossed and torn and beaten and abused in the crucible of faith. The anxiety you feel is because you are slowly feeling the heat of the flames that will prepare some And destroy others. You acknowledge the need for faith. But it is not impressed upon your soul. The power of what faith really is. Again I ask. What did you think it would look like. When we were in the middle of this sifting. It looks like what you are seeing. It is painful. Until faith provides the healing. And there is no faith in questioning the motives of the church. They know exactly what is happening. And they are stemming it as best they can. Within the boundaries of agency and teaching correct principle. He then finishes, he says, I'm not going to expound, expand further, I'll see where this takes you. And so, having read that, having felt the spirit of, no, I don't want to be put in my place, but man, I needed to hear that. That was exactly what I needed. And it hit me right then, um, in the form of a spiritual impression, that this really is a journey of exercising faith, that essentially the evidence is permitted to be equal on both sides so that each of us, rather than wanting to have a perfect knowledge and go through life safely, each of us is called to fall in our faith.
0: Well, and each of us are called to make a choice. So we have the evidence set before us, and we're not compelled to choose one side or the other. And instead, by virtue of an act of faith, we make a choice, and we say, I'm standing on this side.
1: And, And I saw that then, and I realized it and so that began to kind of set me off in a direction where I was able to let go of all this anxiety and realize that it's not it's not a perfect situation where there's all this overwhelming proof and heavenly father wants me to have a perfect knowledge of everything and so that way I can simply walk through life comfortably that Essentially, this life is about seeing, like you say, what I'll choose one way or the other.
0: Yeah, and that's the test. You know, we're we're here to demonstrate what our will is, what, are, what what we desire, when you know, two alternate paths are placed before us, and the one that we choose demonstrates our will. You know, and and that the choice to follow one path or the other is something that. Uh, arises out of our faith or lack of faith.
1: Exactly. And so, after having kind of learned this lesson that night, I uh, I went up to my room and and praying to Heavenly Father and essentially saying, Hey, I, I get it. I realize what's going on now. I understand essentially the paradigm of faith and doubt and and how we've got to make a choice in that. And so I essentially asked Heavenly Father if he might permit me to have uh, another spiritual experience another answer, and so that I can essentially jump off the fence one way or the other and make this choice and so that night i'm asleep, and I have a dream um, and the dream is a spiritual experience i don't I don't have a lot of dreams I don't have a lot of dreams that I remember um, I actually have a uh sleepwalking disorder where i I have a lot of nightmares um, but this is one of the few dreams that I've had in a long time. And this dream was, it was just apparent throughout the dream that it was a spiritual experience, that it was Heavenly Father giving me a message. And by the time the dream was over, I was absolutely certain uh, in my mind that, number one, the choice was mine and that I knew where Heavenly Father wanted me. Uh, and that now I had to go make that choice to, to move that direction from here on out. And so from that point forward, things slowly, the anxiety, the frustration, it all dissipated. And now I can look at life from a vantage point of knowing that there are things that I still have questions on, things that I may not get answers to. And I don't mean that in the way that some things still lean towards the church not being true, but I'll just ignore it. But rather that there's evidence in both directions and that I am free to choose and that I'm going to choose faith.
0: You know, that, that, that experience with your dream sounds very interesting. Is that something that you feel comfortable
1: sharing? I'd be happy to. So, I'm driving in my car, and I'm heading to the airport. And I know that I'm supposed to go to Salt Lake City with my family. And I've never been to Salt Lake City, and to be honest, I don't necessarily have much of an interest in going there. But it's obvious to me in my dream at the time that going there is symbolic of being with Heavenly Father and being with my family for eternity. For whatever reason, I don't take them with me. I I realize that I had told my family that they can drive on their own and go ahead of me, and I'll catch up with them, and I'll drive separate. I pull into the airport parking lot. I park my car. I start to get out, and I realize that I'm parked in the wrong spot. I look down at my watch, and I realize that I'm not going to make it, that I essentially have wasted my time, that I should have been with my family, and instead drove separate, drove late, and now I've missed my chance at taking this flight with them. And so I hurry up, move my car. And I'm trying to make it work. But at some point I just come to the absolute conclusion that I've missed the airplane. And at that point I start breaking down crying and I wake up right then. And I realize it's just, it's, it's, it's obvious to me that Salt Lake city symbolized um, being with my family for eternity and being with my heavenly father and that having missed this, Flight, um, I had made some bad decisions, and that I was essentially separated from them, and I didn't want that to be. And so, waking up in the midst of that dream as it concluded, uh, I made a determination right then that that I was going to move forward within the church.
0: Hmm. That's great. You know, and it's 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 nice that you had that experience, but. I think it's also significance that you recognize that God was trying to speak to you through that experience. Uh, I wonder how many times, uh, we, you know, we have, you know, dreams or, or promptings or thoughts come into our head and, and we don't recognize that God's trying to speak with us and, and God's trying to, to help guide us.
1: Yep. And, and having, not having a whole lot of normal dreams has kind of helped me to, the ones that I do have, pay more attention to. The other thing, too, is that having served as a bishop, there have been spiritual experiences that have come along with that where I've been woken up in the middle of the night and asked to pray for somebody. And so kneeling by my bed at 3 o'clock in the morning, my wife would say, hey, what are you doing up? And I would say, I don't know, the Lord told me to pray for so-and-so. And so I would kneel by my bed and start praying for them and then come find out the next day that some experience had happened with them that at that time in the middle of the night they had a medical emergency and they, that that prayer was needed. So there were some experiences kind of leading up to that that maybe helped me to pay more attention to it when it happened. And I also remember distinctly that in the midst of the dream, I already kind of had a glimpse of what the meaning was of each of the things that were happening.
0: Well, and so these experiences you have had, um, and and as you are a bishop, uh, I can imagine that you've had opportunities to help other people as they've encountered difficulties in the church. Have you had those uh, experiences?
1: I have. Um, I'm currently doing a podcast of my own where I try to address this. I'm not a scholar. I I don't have the ability to give all the intricate answers to all these issues that are troubling. But I do feel like I understand why they hurt, why they're frustrating, why people feel betrayed, and also dealing with maybe some of the um more i should say it that way maybe the easier questions that some of the critics throw out there and so i've spent some time on my own podcast kind of addressing some of those things how can people find that um this is at mormondiscussion.podbean.com it's also on itunes and so you can find it there as well under the name mormon discussion and one of the other experiences I've had, I've done a faith crisis fireside a couple of times, one I just did recently in Canada, and I thought that went over really well, essentially just telling people how we transition through stages of faith using uh, Fowler's uh, stages of faith as an example. He was, a, I believe, a behavioral scientist, not a member of the church, had nothing to do with Mormonism at all, but he examined how people transition in how they believe and how their faith develops. And explaining how we go from black and white to seeing things that don't always fit and then reconciling that and putting it all back together. Also helping them understand that there are answers to some of these difficult issues. So I passed out a a resource sh- sheet that sent them back to FARMS, which is now the Neal A. Maxwell Institute, sending them to SHIELD, sending them to FAIR, uh, and giving them an opportunity to get some of their answers that way. And just sharing with them on the feelings that they feel and why those feelings are there and maybe some of the wrong assumptions that we set. What the other another experience that I had and this was kind of the final straw in me fixing my problem. I got a phone call one day from a member of our ward who had a child, an adult child who was over at their house that evening and was had brought a bunch of um, critical material into the home, a bunch of anti uh, Mormon material into the home and was asking their parent all these questions and the parent didn't have any answers and so she she calls me and she's upset and she needs some kind of resolution to this so she invites me to come over and so I go over to their home and this child has got all these uh, books laid out on the table and she starts to ask some questions and the questions are innocent enough but for someone who's spent a lot of time understanding the issues you get a feel for what direction someone's going in and so I I kind of stopped her at the end of her question and said, I, I know that's what you're asking, but let me guess. Is this really what you're trying to get at? And she said, yeah, th- that's really what I'm trying to get uh, get to. And that happened several times as we we're talking, where she would start off with something, and I would kind of figure out what direction she's going in. I give a bunch of answers, and I felt like they were good answers. Uh, this this person, her spouse was there as well, and the the parent, her husband, was there as well. Um the spouse of the person who was asking the questions was a non member. The husband of the parent who had asked me to come over was a non-member. And both of them about two thirds of the way through our discussion said, Hey, you've given enough answers. This I don't have any more questions. This takes care of my feelings. This addresses the concerns I have. But this other this this child of hers was still frustrated. And she eventually got to the point where she said, Okay, you've answered all that, but here's what I don't get. Why wasn't I told this? Why didn't somebody let me know these things? And obviously that was the question I had had just a short time earlier in my kind of journey through my faith crisis. So it hits me right then that I'm essentially being given an opportunity as a church leader to sit down with myself and answer my question. And it it hits me right then why things are the way they are. And so I looked at her and I said, okay, I get it, I get it, I understand, I know how you feel. I realize you're frustrated and that these things caught you off guard. I said, how would you like me to teach them? I said, do you want me to have a fireside? And she said, that would be nice. And I said, well, here's the problem. I said, I've had firesides where I've shared a couple of these things. Maybe 30% of the ward comes to the fireside. So maybe i got to have three or four more firesides to make sure I get everybody in the ward at least once. And now after I've gone through all these firesides, all of a sudden people have moved out, new people have moved in, and I never get a chance to really cover all of this with everyone. I said, the other thing is, do you want me to go ahead and talk about this stuff at church? She said, yeah, you should do that too. And I said, here's the problem. If I spend time talking about seer stones in the book of Abraham and other issues that we run into... I'm never going to have a chance to talk about the gospel. We're never going to talk about the atonement. We're never going to talk about the about baptism or faith or repentance. And I'm never going to provide opportunities for the ward members to feel the spirit. We're essentially going to go from issue to issue, making sure the members know these things. And then as we talked about earlier, I said, and the fact of the matter is not everybody cares to know about all this stuff. And so I said, there really isn't a way that as much as we feel there should be, there really isn't a good way to tackle these things in the setting of church. I said the best way to tackle this stuff is for members who are curious, is to look these things up, to go back to other members of the ward who they're comfortable talking to, and run things by them. I've tried throughout this process to make sure that I let other people know that I'm aware of these kinds of things so that if anybody else ever struggles, they can talk to me. And so I've had several people take that opportunity, uh, to email me or if it's a member of my ward to talk to me and say, hey, you know, you're willing to talk. Here's some of the things that bother me. And I think that's the best way to tackle it. And I think we all feel like there should be a better way to do it. I just don't know if there is.
0: Well, and I think as, an individual is exploring these types of issues, uh, whether it's on FAIR's website or anywhere else, that it's crucial that they maintain a strong connection to the spirit. And if they felt, you know, maybe some distance from the spirit, that they reestablish that connection, that's that's more important than, than moving through, you know, answers to, to all these different issues. Because if that's not there then there's not going to be anything to help sustain them as as they're working through the, the intellectual problems that arise.
1: You're right, you're right, Steve. Absolutely, we need to hang on to the spiritual things. I think sometimes when we're in a faith crisis, we, we feel like the most important thing is to get answers to these questions. And here's the reason why. Because of this heightened feeling uh, I know a lot of there's a lot of talk right now on the internet about being cognitive dissidents that essentially there is this feeling of being torn in two different directions and this feeling hurts it's painful it causes one to worry whether it'll last forever or not and in the process of um, trying to work yourself through that you wonder if it'll ever end and so you're your main priority going through this is that you want to resolve it. And the only way to resolve it is for someone to sit down and give you answers to your questions. But you're 100% right. If all you do is address the questions, you never get back to where your testimony really needs to be built, which is on the Holy Ghost, which is on the Savior, and which is on the gospel and not on these issues.
0: Yeah, and I would tell someone who is starting to feel distant from the spirit, you know, whether it's because they, they've encountered some of these uh you know, difficult issues or for any other reason, that before anything else, do what you need to do to reestablish that strong connection to the spirit that you once experienced, that you once enjoyed. And uh you know, it's not going to help to, to simply read the history um, you know, to to debate these issues uh if you don't have that connection to God.
1: And the other thing, too, I meant to mention this earlier, and I know that this this is different for everybody, and I know not everybody feels this way. But for me, I would spend my off time during the week looking into these things, and that would cause me to sink worse into this despair. And yet, when I went to church on Sunday, that was the most beautiful day of the week for me. When I was at church, everything was perfect and it fit and And my testimony grew and and enlarged and but when I walked away and said, "Okay, I've got a little free time here on tuesday i'll I'll look this up or I'll do that." then all of a sudden, I started sinking back into that despair again and I think because of this agony in the in in this cognitive dissonance, we so were such a urge to resolve it that we keep looking for intellectual answers. And perhaps God's already speaking to us and we're setting those things off to the side. And so for me, and maybe for others, if on Sunday you're feeling the Spirit and you're feeling good about things, maybe that's an indication of kind of where you start to, to rebuild things.
0: Yeah. And so what would you tell someone who is a friend or a family member or maybe a church leader who encounters someone who's struggling?
1: Well, I would acknowledge their hurt and frustration They may come at you being upset and maybe even feel like they're cornering you, but please understand that that's because there's a lot of pain pain underneath the surface. So acknowledge their hurt and frustration, but try to do so without compromising your testimony. In other words, it's one thing to acknowledge someone hurts. It's another thing to let them um, build a case against the church in front of you. And so don't allow them to do that but if, but also, please don't push them away. You have to recognize that they're they're hurting and that they've chosen you to go to and to share this with. They've essentially trusted you. And so having shared this with you in confidence, obviously don't break that. Do not shun them. Don't push them away. Uh, don't threaten to change your relationship with them. I realize it's not the majority of cases, but you hear a story out there once in a while of, of a spouse who threatens divorce if uh, if the other spouse doesn't get their testimony back to where it should be. That's not a safe place to be in a a good thing. That's not a good thing to do. Um, My wife was wonderful in essentially loving me through this process. Um, Also, simply because they don't believe, they they may have hurtful behavior that is not excusable, and so we don't want to tolerate that, but we don't want to push them away just because they've lost faith. And I think once in a while that does happen. And just kind of maybe a last point, I'd give them an opal channel to talk. I would, I would say, hey, look, I realize this is bothering you. I realize there's some things in your mind. I'm here. Anytime you want to talk about it, I'm here. And allow them to share their feelings. Allow them to share their general struggle. Um, but that doesn't, like I say, it doesn't mean you have to let them lay out their prosecution of the restored gospel. Um, I wanted to tell my wife the details of all the things that I had learned that she wasn't aware of so that I could explain to her why I felt the way I did. She didn't let me do that. And looking back, that was the right thing. But what she did do is say, hey, please tell me how you're feeling and, and I will support you through thick and thin until that's resolved. And that was just, for me, a beautiful way to handle it.
0: So where are you now? You know, you, uh, you've come through a, a lot of, um, transitions, I guess. You've, you've kind of gone back and forth over the years and, uh you still a bishop I guess is that right?
1: Correct. I've been a bishop now for 4 years. Uh the church is more beautiful now to me than it than it's ever been. And I never thought I would see it that way. I never thought having come in through have come through the faith crisis that I would get to a point where I would look back and say things are better now than they were. I I just never foresaw that even being a possibility. And that will seem odd to those who are struggling. Uh many of them will see it as impossible and they simply can't see how it gets how it all gets better. And I've come to be okay with knowing that um that, that I can't know everything, that I can't have a sure knowledge intellectually of everything that goes on. And that perhaps sometimes I know like in testimony meeting, people will stand up and they'll say, I know this, I know that. And some of us will feel at times like, wow, how can I stand up there when I don't know all those things? Well, I've come to be extremely comfortable standing up in testimony meeting and say, I hope this, I believe that, and then maybe these are the things that I know. Um, I think we have to become comfortable not knowing everything, but but realizing that when doubt is present, it gives us an opportunity to exercise faith. Um, Having realized the importance of faith, I've constantly worked to nourish it. I spend time uh, every week downloading some talks, spending time in the scriptures that tie me back into the gospel and help me to feel the spirit of it. Uh and I'm okay and I'm even grateful for uncertainty. I'm I'm comfortable knowing that there's unsurety in the world and that not everything fits exactly where I hope it does.
0: What 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 kind of what kind of talks are you listening to?
1: Um I'll go on the BYU speeches website. I will go on the BYU speeches Idaho website. I will uh some of the um, there's a few MP3 files on the FAIR site that I'll download that I've listened to with with Daniel Peterson and things like that that have to do with the intellectual side. But most of my time spent taking the BYU talks, downloading uh, conference talks onto my MP3 player, downloading certain enzyme talks that are focused around a subject that I'm trying to learn at the time. I used to read the scriptures from front to back just trying to figure out the storyline and try to understand them that way. But over the last couple of years, I've spent my time picking out subjects in downloading or reading everything I can find on that principle in the gospel before I move on to something else. And I find that that tends to be, for me, a lot more enriching and a lot more um, opportunities for giant spiritual growth
0: yeah you know um it's it's really uh interesting to hear your uh process for you know scripture study and you know what you do to gain that connection with with spirit um, I know for myself you know there are a lot of these issues i'm interested in i obviously i i you know like to study the history study the um controversial topics uh, it's kind of an intellectual curiosity that I have and then also with my work for fair I feel like that there's uh, sort of a responsibility I have to be aware of the issues that are out there if I'm going to purport to be able to help anybody, uh, with these things. But sometimes it becomes, uh, sort of, uh, you know, burdensome or, uh, oppressive, you know, when you're listening to, you know, podcasts from critics of the church or when you're reading, uh, you know, uh, material that, uh, It is overtly intended to undermine faith, and I've found that one of the things that really helps me is to go to some of those types of things that you're talking about, um, BYU devotional talks or talks from conference, and sometimes I just have to take a step back and just you know, turn off the other podcasts and listen to those things that are going to help to bolster my faith and to help me to reconnect with the Spirit.
1: Absolutely. No, absolutely. The the two greatest experiences I've had doing that have been in the last year where, again, having kind of this overall theme of just wanting to learn more about grace, I kind of misunderstood grace in the church early on. And so grace has been a topic for me that's just been an absolute blessing. The other one has been uh, in one of these apologetic discussion boards, there was a thread on receiving the Holy Ghost. And I went back and downloaded a bunch of Elder Bednar's talks along with several other uh, leaders in the church who had spoken about that. And I find that if we fill our life with those things as well, because I I also have an interest still in apologetics, and so I'm constantly reading whatever the newest information is or whatever uh, new discussion has come out or being talked about. But if, like you say, if we just focus on that, it drains us. We've got to go back to also having the gospel in our life and it being a living thing within us.
0: Yeah, you know, I I always go back to the allegory of Alma with the seed and planting the seeds of faith and how if you're going to cultivate those seeds that they'll bear good fruit and that we can tell that it was a good seed because of the fruit that it bears. I, I think also if we're going to plant and cultivate seeds of doubt and nourish those and cultivate those that they'll bear the fruits of doubt. And that if that's where we spend our time in the garden, that, you know, we'll reap what we sow. And, you know, so it's so important to plant the seeds of faith, to cultivate those, and to help those to grow. Because that's the fruit that we want to partake of.
1: And that's a great point, and that comes from, I think, Alma chapter 32. And I think if you back up to kind of the other end of that, Alma chapter 5, he makes the comment about uh, for those who have uh, sung the song of redeeming love, he would ask if you feel so now. And I think for me, that's always a constant reminder of, hey, you've had these spiritual experiences in the past. You've had these extremely close moments with the Holy Ghost. Do you feel that currently in your life? And if not, you've got some adjustments to make right now before you drift off further.
0: Yeah, you know, and when you feel that, when you fail to sing the song of redeeming love, uh, You you feel convinced, you feel assured, and you feel confident that the church is true. And I wonder, you know, when people stand at the podium, I mean, you know, who knows what people mean when they say what they say? Um, There are some people that feel uncomfortable when they hear people say, I know the church is true. For me, you know, as I've thought about what do people mean when they say they know something? Because there aren't very many p- things in this world or, or maybe any things in, these, in this world where we can have an absolute certainty of their truth. So, you know, am I certain that Columbus lived? Uh, well, I, the only reason I know Columbus lived is that other people have told me that. I, I don't have any first hand knowledge of that, but nobody would question that if I stood up and I said, I know Columbus lived. So, yeah. Why do they question when I say, "I know that Jesus lived," or "I know that Joseph Smith was a prophet?" Um, you know there are witnesses that we have to these things that help me to have confidence that that's a, a, a correct statement of fact. But then beyond that, there's a confidence that I have, an assurance, a, a conviction that is born of spiritual manifestation. And so that when I say that I know the church is true, that it's not that I've been able to empirically demonstrate it, you know, it's not that um, I have firsthand knowledge uh, in, in the sense that I, you know, personally met Joseph Smith and saw the gold plates myself, but that I'm convinced that it's true, partly by witnesses and partly by um, the, 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 Rational evidences that i've that I've seen in the church, and partly by virtue of revelation from God. and so uh, I, I think it would be helpful for people when they hear people say, "I know that the church is true, if they consider that perspective that when when Moroni says, By the power of the Holy Ghost you may know the truth of all things, that it may just be that people are saying, The Holy Ghost has convinced me that this is the right church, and so I know it's true.
1: And I think that's an excellent point as well. I think those who, and and I did for a while, I think those who struggle with others expressing their testimonies in the sense of I know, are perhaps at that time having a difficulty seeing a spiritual witness as another way of knowing truth. Right. Because maybe they're so mixed up about all these other difficulties they're having. And so, I think, at least I've gotten to a place where I'm extremely comfortable, just as you're pointing out, that these spiritual impressions, these feelings I get, this this being in a place where I'm singing the song of redeeming love, is, from my Heavenly Father, a way to know truth. And so, knowing that makes you very comfortable to see that as one other way in the world as well, to grab onto true principles and to know that things are sure.
0: Well, Bill, I've sure enjoyed speaking with you this evening, and I think that your story has been uh, really a great one. I'm glad you're sharing it, and uh, I think you're doing some great work. Um, I uh, hope you'll continue to reach out to people and share your experience and help to uh, bolster the faith of other people as you do so.
1: I appreciate that. If I can maybe finish with one last thing, Steve. All right. A couple of weeks ago... uh, Elder Holland gave me a phone call back and was just checking up on me and just seeing how I was doing. And uh, if I can just share one thing that he said, uh, when he got to the very end, um, he bore testimony to me and he said, you know, the church is true, warts and all. And I think we need to understand that, that that if we're expecting perfection, we're going to be disappointed because the church is made up of human, human beings who make mistakes. But if we can allow people to be imperfect, and still to carry out the work of God, I think we'll start to see a uh, a really wonderful, beautiful uh, awareness of the things that go around us within the Gospel.
0: Thanks for sharing that, and thank you for joining us on the Mormon Faircast.
1: Thank you. Have a great day. You too.
0: Thank you for listening to the Mormon Faircast. If there is an issue that you've been wondering about, you can often find the latest answers at the Fair Wiki, found at fairmormon.org. If you can't find your answer there, feel free to pose your question to the Fair Apologists by visiting the Fair Contact page. Questions or comments about this episode can be sent to podcast at fairlds.org or join the conversation at fairblog.org. Tell your friends about us and help increase the popularity of this podcast by subscribing in iTunes and by writing a review. Music for this episode was provided courtesy of Paul Cardall. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or of FAIR.